Well, welcome to the Bill Bennett Show and welcome back. Thoughtful conversation about the news of the day and addressing existential threats to America. I think we have some. And we're going to talk about at least uh, one of them, maybe the biggest one, with Gordon Chang. He's a columnist, blogger, television pundit, author, and lawyer. He's the author of the book, The Coming Collapse of China. Is that still true, I wonder, if he thinks? Uh, and North Korea takes on the world. But let me discuss a few things first with Claude, our producer and wingman. Um, Claude. Yes. Schools. Just heard uh, Senator Rick Scott say a uh, pretty clever line. Uh, Democrat policy, open the borders and close the schools. Uh, that's pretty accurate. You know, I, New York Times this morning uh, has an editorial and it, you know, by, by one of their most liberal commentators, columnists, saying, you know, you've really hurt the children mm-hmm. by closing the schools. So, you know, the unions here are just dictating policy. And uh, another line of Scott said the Democrats are not listening to the science. They're listening to the unions. The, uh, the other thing I want to raise as a uh, whole question about schools is who are these people? And people say, well, it's the unions, it's the leadership. But the unions wouldn't be doing this if a lot of their members didn't want them to. If the majority of the members said stop, they'd, they'd have to stop. They have votes on this stuff. So, I mean, I know a lot of great teachers who want to go back and teach well and they're a good job and they want to go back and do a good job, but they're not going back. And we had this thing out of California, Oakley, California. I know you saw it where they were, school board members were talking and trashing the parents. Oh. And... um that's the school board. It's not the mm-hmm. union. So it's the establishment. It's what I called when I was secretary of education, the blob. Mm-hmm. And the whole blob, the, the administrative uh, structure plus the unions, it's bad. And then, and then, you know, if they go back to school in the hands of these people, what are they going to learn? Uh, I mean, you got these pl- this politically correct social studies thing now, which is sweeping a lot of the states. No Abraham Lincoln, you know, no George Washington. Tear down the statues and don't mention the names. There's a movement to get rid of Shakespeare. Say more about that in a second. Movement in Oregon that says that right answers in math are an example of white supremacy. I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, why bother to go back to school? No Shakespeare, no math, no accurate history. So why go back? By the way, the Shakespeare thing, I was listening to a panel discussion on Fox. It was unsatisfactory till the end. People were saying, well, Shakespeare, I guess you got to learn about how people used to think and Romeo and Juliet. Romeo and Juliet is Maybe the most widely read Shakespeare play in school, but it's not the best by any means. Not a great play, I don't think. But that's not why you read Shakespeare, to learn the old language and to see how customs. You learn language. If I may quote Tyrus, okay. who's a smart guy, he's the what former wrestler. He said, you learn, uh, you study Shakespeare to learn about the human condition, uh, the psychomachia, the struggle for good and evil, for the possession of a human soul, about life's losses and gains, things that matter most. That's why you study Shakespeare. And you can get through the language. We ought to try to get him on. Yeah. Yes. Do you know him? You have a line to him? I don't, but I can get one. We uh, invited him on Wise Guys, as I was mentioning, and he's coming on. So that's good. Oh, one other school thing, football. Right. Coming back to California. Okay. Mm-hmm. This spring. Good. Same thing in, in Virginia. There's some schools in Northern Virginia that's uh, kicking up football in the spring. So Heard from our friend Brian Kennedy. I think you okay. know him. Mm-hmm. That um, St. John Bosco. Uh, national champs going to open their season March 12th. Okay. Playing Sierra Canyon high school. And apparently Fox sports one or one of the Fox channels will cover this. 
Well, I was hoping so because I mean, usually ESPN does their big high school college, I mean, high school football kickoff stuff in the fall. Uh, they still did it with the schools that were playing. Uh, but I'm hoping that some networks pick this up and we can have some, you know, some uh, high school football in the spring to watch on television. Watch television, watch football on television in the spring. Life, life is too good. Too <laughs> you know good. what? Maybe we should do that. Maybe, maybe this is what we should do now. We should have football in the fall and then we'll have some schools that wait until the spring to do their, their football season and we can watch that. And Deion Sanders, he's the new head football coach at I think it's Jackson State. Yes, they just he is. played their first game, and, and so they, they're playing this spring. They did? I didn't realize that. Yeah, they just played their first game. <clears throat> what league is that? Uh, Southwestern Athletic Conference. Okay. The SWAC. Right. Who are the members? So they've got the East and the West. They've got Jackson, Jackson State, Alabama A&M, Alabama State, Alcorn State, uh, let's see, Arkansas Pine Bluff, uh, Grambling State, Prairie View, Southern University, and Texas Southern. Now, a lot of those guys go to the pros. Oh, and Mississippi Valley State as well. I don't yeah, know. well, that's where, uh, what's his name came from? Mm-hmm. Gary Rice. Yes. Let me say a last thing about education because I missed this in our discussion earlier. We talk about choice, you know, vouchers and charter schools. There's another whole aspect of choice that's allowed in many states. It's called open enrollment. And you, if you are in X district, you can say, I want to leave this school and go to a different school in the same district. In many states, you can go not just intra-district, but inter-district. So if you're in Montgomery County, you can go over to Prince George's County if you're in Maryland. Um, and that allows for a measure of choice within the public system. So you could theoretically have, and maybe not just theoretically, but actually have a school system where they're teaching all this new junk, as I regard it. But then another uh, school that's teaching more traditional things, math with right answers, and Shakespeare and real history, warts and all, you know, real history, accurate history. And you can transfer to that. So open enrollment. Parents, it's something parents may want to look into is open enrollment. Uh, I know your situation, your homeschool, you will continue to, right? Correct. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, it's, it's, a, it's a topic worth taking up. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Bill Bennett Show. Okay, it's time to jump in with Gordon Chang. Gordon, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much, Bill. Gordon, you are um, getting a lot of airtime and should. You should have even more. I always get frustrated watching you on um, TV because your segments are three minutes, four minutes, five minutes. And I always want to hear more from you. So today, I hope we have that opportunity. Also, I want to thank you for accepting the Wise Guys invitation uh, for later in March. That's um, going to be a wonderful show. All I see from China right now is assertion and muscle. Are we really going to have a collapse? Is there really a coming collapse? To recall the name of your book, title of your book? Right. I, I, I wrote a book in 2001 in which I predicted, and I even put a time date on it, that the Communist Party would fail in 10 years. And obviously it didn't. I, I, you know, I look at the 2008 downturn, which actually um, strengthened the Communist parties in ways which I didn't see in, in 2001. I think China right now does look muscular, um, but also it's got uh, vulnerabilities. And, and right now, uh, China is doing those things which make those vulnerabilities even more consequential. And the reason is it's, ahead, its yeah. economy. Its economy is not as strong as they say. China reported 2.3% growth in gross domestic product last year. Um, We know it didn't grow that much. Um, So, for instance, um, the National Bureau of Statistics engaged in a lot of statistical uh, manipulation tricks. For instance, taking growth out of 2019 to lower the base of comparison. But also, I think there was probably just outright falsification. But in any event, China didn't grow 2.3%. And yet China has all of these ambitions right now um, to build up its military, 
Belt and Road to build the world's infrastructure um, to uh, pay for it's the world's biggest uh, repressive um, uh, apparatus. So it requires a lot of money, which I don't think China has. Um, and right now, um, although it does look strong, I, I don't believe that this is sustainable. As I said, I was wrong in the past. Um, many people, most people think I'm wrong now, but I do think the system is vulnerable, especially with Xi Jinping um, um, going in ways which many people in China don't like. Oh, that was the word I was looking for, sustainable. You don't think it is. All right, let's talk about the muscle. I got uh, questions, various places. One thing that struck me this week, I don't know if you saw it, was the president's, uh, President Biden's nominee to the United Nations. Talked about uh, China's role in Africa as being very positive. Uh, did you notice that? Yes. Uh, she said that um, quite some time ago. Um, I don't think people would say that today. Uh, and the reason is that a couple of uh, points are going back to the Belt and Road. Belt and Road was an initiative that was announced in 2013 to initially connect China to Europe by building infrastructure through Central Asia, also by building ports. It was both a land route and a sea route. Um, part of that, of course, Belt and Road money has gone into Africa. Many of, if not most of those projects have gone belly up in one way or another. Um, so countries are straining to pay back debt to China. And um, I think there's a growing sense in Africa itself that uh, the Chinese involvement has not been beneficial for Africa. And um, just just one other thing, and this, this underlines all of China's policies towards Africa. In the New Year's Gala this year, which is the biggest television program on Earth, um, regular television program on Earth, um, watched by maybe 900 million viewers. China does this every year. This year, like they did in 2018, um, they had Chinese actors in blackface. Um, 2018 was particularly reprehensible. Wow. portraying Africans <clears throat> as primates. And um, Wow. How come we haven't heard about this? I mean, in the this, age of incorrectness and wokeness. This was a skit called Let's Celebrate Together. And it celebrated China's Belt and Road activities um, around uh, Africa. Um, and this skit, I think, was specifically in Kenya. And they had actors in back, blackface, um, which was bad enough. But they also... Um, um, we're trying to portray Africans as lower primates. This is not um, something which was uh, isolated because, for instance, at around the same time, a provincial museum in uh, China portrayed photographs. Um, and there was a series of two photographs set together. So there was, um, there was an African and then there was an orangutan. And then right next to that, there would be an African and a gorilla. And next to that, there would be an African and a monkey. Um, so this is something that's ingrained in Chinese culture. And this is what really limits China and Africa, because the Chinese don't respect others. They don't respect us. They don't respect Africans. They don't respect anybody who's not Chinese. So um, wow. I, I don't think that promoting um, this notion of Chinese superiority to Africans is beneficial to Africa. And they did this blackface routine again in the most recent CCTV gala of about a week and two weeks ago. So this is, this is something where I don't think that it's worked to the benefit of African nations. Yes, they build infrastructure, um, but they throw nations into debt and they don't really create jobs for um, people in the countries there. 
they bring in Chinese workers and um, they take over sectors of the economy, especially um, um, retail. And, and this has generally not been good. I, I had no idea this kind of thing was going on. The orangutan, the blackface. You know, where are the race police, the national or international race police on this? This is first time I've heard it. I'll bet first time the audience has heard it. Yeah, talking about the race police, um, we, we have got um, a company called Nike, and it is every opportunity it lectures the Americans on racism. And yet Nike um, for decades had its some of its shoes made in a factory in Qingdao, which is in yeah. the north um, eastern part of the country, um, which is basically a concentration camp. Um, the workers were essentially Uyghur women, so racial minorities, um, being forced to provide labor you know, you could call it forced labor, but you could also call it slavery. And Nike obviously knew what was going on. It said it didn't, but how could it not know? Because this was going on for decades. This was through a, a contractor that Nike has had a decades-long relationship. And so they're, they're benefiting from slavery. Uh, and, and not slavery of Chinese. This is slavery of racial minorities. So um, yeah. I, I don't listen to what Nike says to me anymore about yeah. my attitudes because what they're doing is is beyond reprehensible. The uh, the Uyghur thing, since you mentioned it, did you note that comment from uh, the president uh, about the, the whole thing, the internment camps or concentration camps? Cultural or, norms. Yeah. I mean, what is that? I mean, just to excuse it on the basis of, he said, what, different cultural norms? This was a disgraceful comment. Um, first of all, the president of the United States should never try to explain atrocities, um, genocide, crimes against humanity um, committed by anyone. And that's what President Biden tried to do. That was a wrongheaded mission. Worse, um, what he said, this cultural norms theory. What he said was that, um, and it's this was a long and rambling comment on the part of Biden um, and a little bit incoherent in parts. But when you start to break it down, it really becomes disturbing because what he said was um, what China is doing in Xinjiang um, with the Uyghurs and Kazakhs and others is a result of different cultural norms. What he's basically saying is that the Chinese culturally are brutal uh, and inhumane. And this is just sort of one step from outright racism. So here's a president who talks about xenophobia, who talks about racism in America who is about one centimeter away from expressing a statement oh. which is outright racist. Yeah. Um, but as I said, this was actually the most disgraceful thing that I've heard any American president say. And I'm not young. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Close off the Africa discussion. Disabuse me of the notion if I'm wrong. One of the things I thought that uh, China was trying to do and maybe do successfully in Africa was to get all the minerals, all the resources, all the natural resources out. Uh, I, I talked to some guys and went with them to the State Department during the Trump administration, trying to uh, start some investments in some countries in South Africa. And said the Chinese were everywhere, but unlike the Americans, we have a policy that we're not going to invest until they clear certain hurdles, such as human rights violations and stopping human rights violations. Am I right about both? You're absolutely right. And this has been a long-term um, program, at least a couple decades of intensified attempts to um, to extract minerals, oil, copper, and the rest of it. And, you know, countries before them have done this. Um, what's different is the way the Chinese do it. Um, there's been exploitation of Africa by many parties, not just the Chinese. 
Um, but what's happened, what's different today, Bill, is that China is doing the same things that have been done for decades and decades and decades. But the norms, if we can go back to that word, have changed. And China is still doing things which are um, colonial. And that, that is, that's the sin there. So, you know, the Chinese will always say, well, you know, you white guys did the same thing. And yes, that's true. But they were doing that a long time ago and they're not doing it now. And that's that's the difference. But there's some real disenchantment in Africa by African nations with the Chinese. And and if there is, can they get them out? There is disenchantment among populations. There's not general disenchantment among um, government elites. And the reason is that China has out and out used corruption to um, Mm -hmm. to corrupt um, people. And then they do that because they want those sweetheart deals, which benefit China far more than they benefit um, countries there, which goes back to the comments of um, our UN ambassador. You know, this is this is a China that operates in very different ways than the U.S. and other countries operate in Africa right now. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, Let's go to another stage here. Uh, Are we getting close to what might be hostilities, uh, conflict, Uh, Taiwan, Hong Kong, islands? Uh, What's going on? I mean, I get these reports of this intersection and these guys were close and, you know, and and, and I I don't know what the situation in Taiwan, what's going to happen there? And what will it mean for us? We have a treaty with Taiwan, correct? Um, With regard to Taiwan, right now, Beijing has been pressuring Taiwan more than it is in the past. So, for instance, um, Chinese planes have been flying through Taiwan's air defense identification zone, um, which is still international airspace, but it's considered to be a provocative and hostile act nonetheless. We've got to be concerned that in one of those provocations on January 23, China flew nuclear-capable H-6K bombers through Taiwan's air zone. But they those bombers also practiced uh, an attack on the Theodore Roosevelt Carrier Strike Group, which was in the region at the time in the South China Sea. So this was not only a warning to Taiwan, this was a warning to the United States. And it showed that um, basically Xi Jinping didn't have any... Um, didn't have any compunction doing this. This is the reason why this has become more dangerous. You know, you go back to a lot of people in the U.S. who were worried during the Trump administration that this wild guy with chair was going to start World War III with China or somebody else. But he didn't. And the reason he didn't um, was because the Chinese respected Trump. Um, they didn't like his policies, of course, but they respected him. The other thing that they thought about Trump, and this may be even more important, is that Um, they couldn't predict what Trump was going to do. Trump did not come out of the mold of the American foreign policy elite. They couldn't (laughs) predict what he was going to do. Therefore, they left him, for the most part, a wide, wide berth. And so the risk of war during the Trump years was in reality very low. It's much higher now because you got a new president. Anytime you have a new president, the risk of war will go up because we know the Chinese generally try to test a new American president. They did that with George W. Bush. They did that with President Obama. Um, And now they seem to be doing it again with Biden with that simulated attack on the Theodore Roosevelt. So, yeah, this is worry. The problem is um, we know that the Chinese elite does not respect um, President Biden. And we know this from, for instance, the comments of Di Dongchong, who is that professor at Renmin University, Mm -hmm. um, who in an open uh, forum on November 28th openly talked about how China 
really could control the U.S. And they did it in not just a dry and normal professorial way. He did this. These guys were chortling. They they were having a good time. And they talked about Biden. Uh, They talked about Hunter Biden, for one thing. But they also said, and, and this goes back to a more fundamental point. They talked about how during um, previous administ- previous to Trump, that they used the Wall Street connection to determine outcomes at the highest level of the American political system. Um, D actually said during the Trump years, that Wall Street connection was broken. They couldn't influence the Trump administration. Kissinger was out. And Professor D said, but we really look forward to reestablishing that Wall Street connection under the Biden um, years. Um, remember, this was November 28th after yeah. Biden had won the um, election. So really what we've got is um, Biden, who is starting to do Wall Street's bidding by postponing um, some of President Trump's actions with regard to investment in Chinese military linked companies. Yeah. Wall Street hates that. They want to be able to finance China's um, military buildup so that they can kill Americans. Um, Biden is, seems to be copacetic with that. Um, we'll yeah. see what Biden eventually does on his policy review, but by postponing um, President Trump's executive order in November of last year, this doesn't look good. So weakness very provocative. Is, is, is much more provocative than the kind of strength that Trump was showing. Donald uh, Rumsfeld, weakness is provocative. Yeah. What do you think will happen here? I don't know, Bill. Um, well, yeah, of course I don't know. Um, but I don't really have a very good sense of what will happen. Yeah, I tend to be an optimist. I tend to believe that um, whatever Biden thinks or however Biden has been compromised by Hunter, I do think that the American political system will rally um, because the American people understand um, in a much more real way uh, China's threat than um, do the- guys who run policy. Do the so, Democrats on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee understand that? I take it a couple of them do, right? Yeah, I mean, Menendez, my senator, I'm, I'm yeah. from New Jersey. Um, say what you will about the guy, um, but he's really been good on Taiwan. Okay. Um, now, whether this translates into real policy, I mean, Biden very well may give away the store. And the question is, will Senator Menendez and others, um, will they come around? I don't know, you know, because there's party loyalty and all the rest of it. Um, but uh, the only thing that I can say about this is that because um, I'm neither a Republican nor a Democrat. The thing I can say about this is that uh, I don't care what these guys are going to do. I'm going to continue to shout and scream about this. And I know that you will. Um, and I know that others will. And the way I look at this is that um, it's now we, the American people, are the last line of defense of our country. Because I'm not entirely sure that the president of the United States is fully on board on the project of defending us. I think he is, but I'm not too sure. I was heartened yesterday, Bill, with uh, President Biden's executive order on supply chain resiliency. That continues a very important Trump initiative. Um, But, you know, Biden does some things which are just totally indefensible. Uh, I'm sorry for rambling, but May 1st, 2020, President Trump signed an executive order that prohibits American grid operators and American utilities from buying equipment from China. In other words, we're preventing China from sabotaging our grid. And as we see in Texas, protecting your grid is pretty important. On January 20th this year, words just hours after taking the oath of office, President Biden signs an executive order that repeals that 
ban on the purchase of Chinese equipment. Now, Biden was saying, I want to review Trump's policies. Okay, I get it. Every president reviews the China policies of his predecessor. But the point is, you should leave the United States protected while you review, because that takes months. And what what Biden has done is he's left us vulnerable to Chinese sabotage. And this is not a theoretical concern about China, China, China trying to sabotage equipment. So this was indefensible. This was wrong. This is the reality of what Biden is doing. So, yeah, he can sometimes say good things. Sometimes he can do a few good things. But the reality is that he has been busy taking down Trump protections of our society. Well, these protections, if they come down, continue to be taken down, result in just a gradual weakening, or will we get to a point where we will be attacked in the usual meaning of the term? Yeah, because um, going back to what we were saying before, we know that the Chinese elite does not respect Biden. We know that China always tries to test a new American president. They didn't do that with Trump, by the way, but they generally try to do it. And so you got all the elements of things going dangerously wrong, which is not to say that they will go wrong, um, but it, the risk of things going wrong is really high right now. And it's because um, Beijing does not uh, believe that the United States will protect itself. I'm not saying that the Chinese are right in this, but it's not important whether the Chinese are right or wrong. Yeah. It's what's important is their state of mind. Their state of mind right now can lead them to do things which are exceedingly dangerous. And that's the reason why the risk of things going wrong right now is really, really high. But, but talk about state of mind a little bit from best you know of the bite of Biden and his people. Do they know, as Trump knew and others knew, that China was dangerous and a real threat and competitor? Well, let's try, but let's try something else. Yeah, no, no, that's, that's got, really important. Or, really or, do, important or do, do, do they believe, as that clip that keeps coming up on TV, hey, hey, you know, they're no competitor with us. Yeah, I, I think that ultimately Biden it believes that China is no more than just a competitor. Um, and of course, I'm not in his head. When he uh, at that CNN town hall that you talked about earlier, that showed his state of mind. That showed what he really thinks. And that's why these things are dangerous, um, because his instincts are all wrong. Just to give you an example, he was important in formulating foreign policy during the Obama years. Um, We know that because he tells us all the time. Obama drew a lot of red lines. And he didn't enforce them. And because of that, I think that Beijing has a view of Biden that uh, Biden won't enforce red lines. So, for instance, um, there was an incident which I think is critical to Beijing's development of their perceptions of us. And that is what happened in early 2012 at Scarborough Shoal, which is a strategic feature in the South China Sea, very close to the Philippines, 124 nautical miles very far away from the nearest Chinese feature, which is like 700 nautical miles. Um, This is just outside uh, Manila Bay. In early 2012, the Chinese wanted Scarborough. So they flooded it with a lot of Chinese fishing vessels. And Philippine fishing craft were there as well. Now, Kurt Campbell, who is now Asia czar in the Biden administration, negotiated a deal for both sides to withdraw their craft. Only the Philippines complied, and that's left China in control of Scarborough. And the Obama team didn't do anything about it. So they brokered a deal, 
and then they didn't do anything about it. And they've left China in control of Scarborough, um, which is an act of aggression. And, you know, as far as China thinks, they got away with it. Yeah. So that shows you, I think, with, and, and now Kurt Campbell is back. Um, Biden is back. And a lot of the other players are back. And so Beijing probably reasonably believes, hey, we push these guys around in the Obama years. We can push them around again. Um, that's that's the reason why we're talking about state of mind. That's the reason why I think the state of mind is really um, dangerous. Now, there are a lot of other red lines that, that Obama announced and did not enforce. Um, and this is one of my favorite topics, so I will not bore you. But the point is, when you don't uh, enforce what you say, you're teaching China to ignore our warnings. Yeah. And one of the most dangerous times in history in general is when an aggressor does not believe the warnings of the great democracies. The other uh, state states of mind, other institutional weaknesses which contribute to this problem, uh, you mentioned Wall Street. Is Wall Street a problem? And, and, and what else and who else? Well, Wall Street is definitely a problem because they want unrestricted investment into China. And they have no inhibitions about this. So, you know, they're investing in companies that are developing um, weapons that are being used to, um, you know, that are being intended to use to kill Americans. I mean, it's just it's, it's that simple. You have Microsoft and American educational institutions in Xinjiang giving them or helping them with artificial intelligence so that they can um, identify Uyghurs. Um, and yeah. then we know that they use that for crimes against humanity. This is like Thomas Watson of IBM in uh, after France declared war on Germany. I mean, Watson was there helping um, Hitler tabulate and do the census that uh, helped him keep yeah. track of Jews. Yeah. Um, he Watson provided the um, equipment and the, the punch cards to do that. This was after the bombing of London. Um, this wow. is, of course, yeah. before the entry of the U.S. into the war. But this this is really wrong. This is the mindset of business. Business is business. And um, we need to prevent China from creating those incentives um, that um, that would encourage them to do things which are dangerous to the United States. Well, the Wall Street state of mind or the Biden state of mind, pick it up at some point. Will they will they, maybe it'll be late. But will they see it at some point and say, you know, we, we got to stop these guys. This is crazy. Or is this a kind of St. Augustine has a phrase, invincible ignorance? Is this a kind of ignorance or assumption that can't be uh, overcome? I think it's the former. Okay. Um, and that's Good. going that's back better. to your earlier question. Um, and that is, um, you know, you go back to 1939. Um, remember, um, Britain and France warned uh, Germany not to remilitarize the Rhineland. Um, Hitler did that in 1936. And he um, and then absorbed Austria. Then you have the Munich Agreement. And in part of the Munich Agreement, people forget, is that, that Hitler could take parts of Czechoslovakia, but he had to leave the rest of it alone. Well, five months after um, signing Munich, he took the rest of Czechoslovakia, and Britain and France did nothing. So you get to the summer of 1939, uh, London and Paris tell um, Berlin, um, you you invade Poland, we're going to go to war. We know from the German archives that Hitler did not believe um, Britain and France because yeah. Britain and France issued tons of warnings and just ignored all of them. So um, yeah. that's where we are today. Okay. And, and this is not just Obama. Um, we've had a number of Republican presidents do this as well. 
issue lots of warnings, not do anything about it. This is exceedingly dangerous. One last area, um, unless there are other areas you would talk about. And again, we're very grateful, uh, Gordon, for your time. Um, Biology, Wuhan virus. And did I read correctly? It may have just been some sensationalistic thing. Biological research to develop a a better soldier, a stronger man, a a superman. Uh, Did I make this up or did I read this? No, you you read that um, probably on December 3 because that's the date of John Radcliffe's Wall Street Journal op-ed in the Wall Street Journal, where he talked about how the People's Liberation Army um, was doing conducting human testing on soldiers um, to develop uh, capacities. Um, we, um, at least we in open source, um, don't have very much information. But we do have what we do have is what China has actually been doing. So, for instance, um, it is no coincidence that the only um, use of CRISPR, the gene editing tool, to edit the embryos, human embryos that produce live births, the only person to do that was a Chinese uh, researcher named Hu uh, Jianghui, um, who produced uh, twin girls in, in um, October or November 2018. Now, he said that he removed the human CCR5 gene in order to give the twins immunity to HIV. But it's also believed that he did that to enhance their intelligence. And Hu Jianghui's experiments are not the only ones that Chinese researchers have done on human embryos. This is considered to be unethical. And, um, you know, from the literature, we we know that the Chinese um, are thinking of how to produce genetically enhanced humans. So, uh, no, you, you didn't just make that up. Um, this is, this is something that's already happening. And by the way, Bill, um, China attracts a lot of foreign researchers because there are no ethical, um, inhibitions in China. You can do whatever you want. They give you money. They, they say you can do whatever you want, which you can't do in the United States, for instance, because we think that that is, um, just wrong. Right. Uh, Wuhan, your, your view, how to start. We don't know the origin of the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Um, I think that it probably was a lab leak. And and there's a lot that we can talk about on that. But there's one thing we do know. We know that China, for the first time, publicly admitted that the virus was human-to-human transmissible on January 20 of last year. But we also know that Chinese um, leaders or Chinese doctors in Wuhan knew that the disease was highly contagious no later than the second week of December. And they probably knew well before then. They could have known maybe going back to something like um, August of 2019, according to a Harvard Medical School study, whatever. They knew it for at least five weeks. If they had said nothing during those five weeks, that would have been grossly irresponsible. But we know that during that time, they tried to convince the world that the disease was not contagious. So At the same time that they were lying, these guys were lying about contagiousness. They were also um, pressuring other countries, including the United States, not to impose travel restrictions and quarantines on arrivals from China when they were locking down their own country. So by locking down their country, they thought that these measures were effective, which means that by pressuring other countries to accept passengers from China, they knew they were spreading the disease and they were lying about it at the same time. That shows that whatever the origin of this disease, that China deliberately spread it beyond its borders. 
which means that the deaths outside of China are murderous. And because we're now talking 2.4 million people dying, including 503 or 4,000 Americans, that this was mass murder. What should we do? Uh, those of us who don't agree with the Biden posture, who are shocked and horrified by most of what you have said today, what should we do? Uh, groups, organizations, uh, Committee on the Present Danger, China? Tell me what we should be about. Well, our, our policy should be, and what we should urge the Biden administration to do is to cut links with China. And the reason is China is not only spreading disease, it's not only got um, in all probability, a biological weapons program. And by the way, Bill, China's uh, military has been thinking about developing pathogens that attack only specific ethnic groups. So the next pathogen from China is could leave the Chinese alone and sicken everybody else, which means it could be a civilization killer. Um, oh my God, my God. Yeah. I mean, and just to give you some example of this, uh, in the 2017 edition of the Science of Military Strategy, which is an authoritative publication in China issued by China's National Defense University, in fact, talks about a new form of biological warfare of, quote, specific ethnic genetic attacks. Amazing. So if we don't, you know, we need to deter imposed costs on China because if we don't do that, Xi Jinping will think that he can spread the next pathogen. And the next pathogen you know, could be so much worse than the one we have right now. Could design so, one that we, would only kill black people or white people or black right. and white people. My God. Yeah, yeah, that's what they're doing. That's what they're that's what they in their in their literature are talking about what they should be doing. So what we need to do is we need to impose those costs because we need to deter um, Xi Jinping. And um, if he doesn't, he's going to continue his unrestricted warfare against the United States. And so we have not had, you know, we, we need to impose those costs. And those costs have got to be severe um, because we're now, as I said, we're now at 403,000 Americans who have been killed. You know, in general, the problem is China's trying to overthrow our society. They were encouraging violence last year. They're encouraging violence this year on American streets. That goes beyond subversion. That's an act of war. And what we've got to do is we've got to get a handle on it. And so far, we haven't been able to because China's just completely flooded the zone. FBI is overwhelmed. CIA is overwhelmed. Local law enforcement is overwhelmed. Governments don't know what to do. We need to end the contacts of the Chinese regime with our society. I know that sounds drastic, but the point is, until we get a handle on this, until we can manage this, you know, we could lose our republic. And so, um, you know, I don't know what to say. I know most people won't agree with that. But the point is, tell me how we get this under control. And then I'll say, yeah, of course, we can maintain relationships with the Chinese regime. But until we get that under control, we've got to cut those links. Well, one last thing, if you don't mind. Um, American society, colleges, universities, Chinese students in the United States. A friend of mine told me that essentially by law, every Chinese student in the United States can be seen as an agent of the government of China. Yeah, every Chinese national um, student or otherwise in the U.S. is under a legal compulsion to spy. That's Article 7 and 14 of China's National Intelligence Law adopted in 2017. Um, every Chinese national, every Chinese entity must, if demanded, spy for Beijing, commit espionage. Um, you know, this is, to me, this is the most difficult China question because my dad came to the U.S. on a Chinese government scholarship. This was the previous yeah. Chinese government, the nationalists. But nonetheless, um, my dad was allowed to come here. He became a citizen. 
Um, so, you know, I've got a soft spot for this. But the point is, you can't allow 397,000 potential spies running around college campuses, which is the number of Chinese students we had prior to the pandemic. And there's a couple things here. We, we got to get our handle on it. Um, we've allowed China's Ministry of State Security and we've allowed Chinese diplomats to monitor students. Um, that's our fault. This is our country. We've got to stop that. I mean, if we stop that, then maybe we can get a handle on Chinese students. But until we do, you know, this is our fault. This is this is something that we should be able to do. Um, so, yeah, well, I, I talked to a university executive the other day. He's very proud of the fact that um, they've kept tuitions level, even though closed huh, uh, for the last couple of years. And I asked him why, you know what the answer was. Increased, yeah, Chinese yeah, students. Increase the number of Chinese students paying full freight. Extraordinary. Yeah. Well, I, I share your worry. I don't share your knowledge base, but I share your worry. You have been um, Paul Revere on this, and uh, we'll continue to come back to you. Gordon, thank you very, very much. Appreciate it. Well, thank you so much, Bill. I really appreciate this opportunity. That does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to thebillbennettshow.com. You can follow me on Twitter, William J. Bennett. You can like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's billbennettpodcast at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and friends. We'll catch up next week. 